This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. The legislature in the state of Hawaii has passed a bill that would ban certain types of sunscreen. The reason for the ban is the impact that these lotions are having in the water with the coral reefs around the islands. The bill is waiting to be signed by the state's governor right now, and it is looking at specific chemicals in the sunscreens like oxybenzone and octanoxate. Uh, Products with these chemicals in them would only be available through a licensed health care provider. Craig Downs is executive director of the Hereticus Environmental Laboratory. He did the uh, first study on these materials, and Craig joins us right now. Craig, great to have you with us. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you. So I guess let's start with the research that you did. And obviously, there's a concern about coral reefs, you know, pretty much everywhere there is coral around the world at this point. So the the research that we we did, we first focused back in 2015 on the U.S. Virgin Islands and Hawaii, and we were able to show that um, oxybenzone and then later on actinosate were highly toxic to the juvenile developmental stages of corals, and then coral reef fish like Nemo, clownfish, and sea urchins, and we and we also looked at the levels of these these. UV sunscreens in the waters on the reefs, and we found that the levels on the reefs were just highly toxic to the organisms that we tested in the laboratory. So they they pose a a clear and present hazard and threat. Now, let me just say, sunscreens don't pose a threat to all the coral reefs in the world because there are very remote locations of coral reefs with no people. They pose a threat to the coral reefs that people love the most the reefs that we love to visit. And so tourist destinations in the Caribbean, in Hawaii, in the South Pacific, those are the ones that are that are in danger. And so part of the, the most recent research involves uh, uh, the Hawaiian islands, correct? Yes. So we, we did extensive studies in Maui, Kauai, Oahu. Uh, Hanama Bay had the highest levels of, of this oxybenzone, 30,000 parts per trillion. And it's toxic to a number of marine organisms as low as 10 parts per trillion. What's interesting is I guess that Hanama Bay uh, actually is part of a nature preserve, correct? Exactly. It's a, it's a city, state, and federal nature reserve. Um, and so it's, it's, it's waters and the organisms there. They have monk seals. They have sea turtles, so endangered species, uh, as well as coral reef organisms. Um, they're being highly exposed to to these chemicals, um, to the UV chemicals like oxybenzone and actinosate, but also to the preservatives that are in those sunscreens. So it's just a big chemical soup in Hanama Bay, and it's the reason why if you go there, there's nothing to see. Uh, most of the reef is dead. And so part of our mission here is to figure out what's causing that death and then come up with socially and economically feasible ways of mitigating that pollution right. and then restoring that reef. And, and I guess with, you know, you're relatively close where Hanama Bay is. You're relatively close to Honolulu to begin with. So you're talking about having the majority of, uh, of visitors to uh, the Hawaiian Islands there anyway. And for those people that like to go out on, on the proverbial day trip to, to different spots around the island. 
Exactly. And Hanama Bay sees 3,000 to 6,500 people per day. It's just a huge number of people. And it's just not Hanama Bay. If you go to any of the major sites in Maui, 2,000 to 3,000 people per day on the northern end and the southern end where the reefs are still good. Um, so these, these remnant reefs that still kind of look good, they're seeing huge tourist pressures on them. I guess it has to be, uh, it's an interesting point, the fact that obviously legislation was being brought forth in the state uh, to be able to try and and deal with the impact that these sunscreens are having, uh, because we don't always get the great uh, response from our governments in, in a fast manner. And not that this is even fast, because this has probably been going on for quite some time now. It, it relatively was fast. Um, we We and a number of colleagues, scientific colleagues, um, showed the data to the politicians, and the politicians, surprisingly enough, engaged us actively and earnestly, and they really wanted to know the science. And I, I can probably say that many of the politicians in Hawaii that voted for this bill knew the science really, really well, like Representative Nicole Lowen, Representative uh, Gene Ward, mm-hmm. Senator Gabbard. They knew the science. I mean, that's kind of weird for a politician to know the science. And so... They were able to engage other stakeholders and the, their constituency about this issue and educate them about it. And I think that's why it went, it went through the, the legislature really quickly in less than two years. Where have, have the other sources of support come from this? Because you think about it, obviously this is something that probably the tourism industry would want to uh, be interested in. And obviously I'm sure the sunscreen industry is not real happy about this type of legislation coming forward. It, it was it's kind of humorous in a morbid type of way, but when you look at the testimony for the legislative committees, it was like 130 pro-legislative testimonies coming from resorts, industry associations dealing with tourism, uh, airlines. I mean, Hawaiian Airlines is behind this. Aqua Aston Hospitality Resorts are, have been big supporters. Yeah. And just everyday people that use the reefs as well as tourists who come to Hawaii maybe once every year or once every three years. The opposition was completely K Street lobby groups and, and sunscreen companies, the big ones. Uh, we had a lot of support from smaller sunscreen companies, from right. like All Good, um, Stream to Sea. Um, you know, they were, they were strongly behind it. Um, and, and there's the thing. All the sunscreen, we're, we're just taking out two chemicals that we are know that are bad for corals and that we know that are bad for humans. Um, there are other sunscreen ingredients that are way more effective in protecting against the sun, like zinc oxide and titanium dioxide. Right. Um, there's avobenzone and octocrylene that are still used. So there is no ban on sunscreens. It's just ban on two chemicals that are bad for the environment and bad for people. Are, are the sunscreen companies receptive to potentially taking these chemicals out of their products? Uh, you know, they are. Um, there's a company called um, Edgewell. Uh, they own Hawaiian Tropic and Banana Boat. The day that the bill passed, they did a press release showing that they're in compliance and that they have sunscreens ready to go in Hawaii. Um, other companies like Ocean Potion... Um, they were a big oxybenzone user. 
Last year, they sent out a whole bunch of sunscreens that did not contain oxybenzone, and I think they were one of the first companies to put on their label oxybenzone-free. So it's, it's now a marketing um, tactic in the sunscreen industry because so many people don't want it on their skin. Craig Downs is executive director of the Hereticus Environmental Lab. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. You know, in many cases, Craig, what we see happen here in the United States in terms of awareness and and trying to make change uh, are things that have occurred in other countries and other parts of the world already. Is it the case similarly in this situation that other countries have started to address this problem already countries where there are coral reefs and where there are you know high tourism beach areas that's a good question and in the last three weeks we've i've had more than 40 different countries contact me asking me about the science about the different policy options um but really it kind of all started in mexico uh, the Mexican government and the, and the Mexican environmental conservationists um, were the first ones to ban uh, pretty much almost all sunscreens except for titanium dioxide and zinc oxide-based sunscreens in their eco-parks. And this has spread to other nature reserves in Mexico, even land-based uh, nature preserves in the middle of the desert. Um, so the Mexi- Mexicans really were the, were the first ones to do something about it from an executive point of view, um, and I've heard that they're looking to expand it and, again, getting industry stakeholders to jump on board and help out uh, so that it's not all a government effort. It's more of a, a community type of effort with a number of different economic stakeholders. With some of the locations that you have been to, and in this case, Hanama Bay, uh, what is the seriousness uh, of the impact right now uh, on the coral reefs there? And what is the possibility of, you know, some of the coral that may still be good of regenerating itself in the years to come? That's the worst point about oxybenzone and actinosate is that it, it is most threatening to juvenile coral, juvenile fish, juvenile marine organisms. So if a coral reef dies from, like, a mass bleaching event, it's supposed to come back. It's supposed to come back in three to five years so that you can't even tell they had a mass death event. Um, coral bleaching is kind of like a, a forest fire. It's, it's often necessary to maintain high levels of biodiversity. But when you have localized pollution in place, it doesn't allow those, those baby organisms to recruit onto that damaged reef. And what you see then is just this slow, continuous death um, and desolation on coral reefs. And I'm sorry to say, a good example of this is the Florida Keys, where we see lots of death and very little regrowth. And, uh, you know, it's a one-two punch between uh, weather factors and, and localized pollution. Craig Downs with the Hereticus Environmental Lab joining us. Your comments at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Is it the expectation that you will see this bill signed by the governor's office sometime in the, in the relatively near future? And obviously, as we're you know, doing this interview, uh, Hawaii is dealing with a, a massive problem of volcanoes right now. 
from what I have heard from the governor's staff and then from a number of senators is that the governor intends to sign it. Um, but as you pointed out, the governor last week and, and two weeks before was dealing with a, a massive emergency on Kauai from mudslides and heavy rains, and now he has to deal with the volcano event on the Big Island. So you, you can see why his staff, and you can be rather sympathetic, why he hasn't made an announcement just yet. He's he's busy dealing with yeah. critical you know, emergency things. Do you expect this to start a change uh, you know, an even greater change within the the sunscreen industry to really look at this and and look at the types of materials that they chemicals that they're putting in in some of these sunscreens. Because if you have one state that obviously is stepping forward, and especially a state like Hawaii that has you know m- hundreds of millions of dollars in tourism that come to that uh, to those islands each and every year, then seemingly we would I would think see other states potentially California, Florida, others, jump on board? Other states have contacted me. Um, Law firms within those states have contacted me asking about the science. We try not to get involved in those type of lawsuits. We just try to produce the science and then let other people run with it. But, you know, 8 to 11 other states are interested in this, and they're not just coastal states. This affects inland waterways, lakes, Right. Uh, up around Lake Erie, Lake Ontario, Lake Huron. Um, folks from Wyoming around national parks were talking to me because, you know, beaches can, uh, at these small highland lakes can see 300 to 400 people a day. Um, Lake Tahoe, one beach there on the North Shore, sees like 6,000 people on the 4th of July. And it's kind of hard to keep Lake Tahoe blue if you're you know, putting this iridescent oily sunscreen sheen in the water. Why do you think it's taking, it has taken so long? I mean, these are, uh, you know, products that have been in in these uh, sunscreens for, for many years. Why is it taking so long to be able to address these types of issues? So this is a personal perspective. This is my opinion. And it's, yep. and it's because I think the personal care product industry, again, my personal opinion, has Ossified. They, they fossilize, fossilized. There's nothing really innovative in that industry. They, they have the same 17 chemicals for sunscreens that, you know, that were approved you know, back in the 1970s, and there's nothing new. They won't push, push the, the limit. Um, in, the, in the magazine Slate, there's an article that just came out four hours ago by Rachel Winters, um, and she writes this article about it's not on tourists it's not on consumers the onus is on the industry to innovate they've got to come up with something new that's non-toxic that's better for both the environment and for people and really works how significant of an economic is issue is this it's not really your bailiwick but how significant of an economic issue is this in your mind to the state of hawaii to other states to other countries i mean you're talking about you know, so much tourism that goes there. The last thing, as you said, with the support you've received, the last thing that that hotels want to see or, you know, travel wants to see is a loss of, of, of tourism dollars coming to their state. I, I think it could be big. And there's a number of Ph.D. dissertations and master theses from from academia showing migration and tourist migration off of islands that have lost their natural resources. Um you know, the National Park Service sees, I, I think, the greatest number of visitors they've ever seen in their history because 
people want to see those natural resources, and they're becoming rarer and rarer. Um, so I think Hawaii is smart. They're visionary. They, they want to be able to manage long-term consequences. They want tourists to come. We want tourists to see Hawaii and, and see its beauty. But unregulated, that type of tourism is unsustainable. It's a tragedy of the commons. And so I think this is a smart first step in trying to manage that tourism to not inconvenience tourists, um, especially in their visit and in their enjoyment of their visit, but to, to mitigate the pollution that they impact on those very small, discrete local natural resources. You mentioned earlier some of the manufacturers of, uh, of sunscreen that have actually gone as far as putting oxybenzone-free on uh, on their packaging. I, I would imagine that, as much as anything, uh, would be an important factor just so that, again, the consumer is aware of what chemicals are doing potentially the most damage out there, and they will potentially try and stay away from them. It, yes, and it, it, it has been big. Um, I walked into a, a legislator's office and saw that their staffer actually had a couple of bottles of Ocean Potion and they bought it because it was oxybenzone-free. So it, it can be a big marketing push, and it's consumer-driven. And that's kind of what we, what we do is try to get the science to the consumer, the yeah. everyday f- uh, person, to show this is what it is. You know, this is the science. This is the, the ramifications this type of pollution has. But there are ways that the everyday person can mitigate that and help solve that problem. Um, and that's big. And I, I think industry, if they're smart, can pick up on this. And like I said, some corporations already have. Where do you go next in terms of your study of this? And, and I would imagine part of it is, is keeping an eye on what is going on in places like Hanama Bay or around the world. Uh, yeah, so some of it is we're looking at other factors, other chemicals in sunscreens. Oxybenzone and actinosate are probably the two most dangerous but there's a preservative called parabens um, that are out there, and a lot of people have heard about it. I mean, if you look at Burt's Bees, like their shampoo, it says paraben-free, phthalate-free, and that's consumer-driven. And there's actually some good science behind that of why parabens should be removed from people's skin, exposure to people. But there's also a more important reason why it needs to be removed from the environment, because it's an endocrine disruptor. Methylparaben, the smallest of the, of the paraben chemical species, is an insect pheromone. So it's actually used by you know, organisms, you know, uh, invertebrate organisms. So having a pheromone in the water that affects invertebrates is just a bad idea. And, and there are other preservatives that companies can use in their products that don't have that type of detrimental effect. How significant is the is the change in terms of the innovation of finding those those other preservatives that they can use? And and I would imagine uh, there it has to be a, a great push by some of these companies right now, knowing that a lot of this research is coming out against things like oxybenzone, as as you mentioned, that are so damageable, uh, so damning for uh, coral reefs and, and waterways. Um, on that one, I I, I can't answer until after I, I see the product come out on the shelf, because right. many of these companies won't even talk to me. Uh, we've reached out to them and, and tried to say, hey, you know, 
here's the science, let's talk about it, at least in a, an open forum, yeah. so that you can, you can innovate. You know, knowledge is key. Um, you can't create economic drivers without knowing what is good and what is bad. Right. Um, so we're hoping this push brings industry as a whole closer um, to have them sit down with us and just talk. Uh, talk about the science uh, and, and about you know, better products, better technology. And, and again, just as much as anything, just reaching the public and having the public understand what's going on uh, could be a portion of winning, winning this fight here. I, I think the public's already on board. I've never seen so many different demographic groups reach out to me and ask questions and then publish stuff on their blogs, like mommy blogs, soccer blogs, um, <laughs> what have you. I mean, even on Goop, uh, the website Goop, um, uh, my understanding is, is they have a, have a knowledge of, of oxybenzone impacting coral reefs, and they're pushing products that don't contain those chemicals. Yeah. So I, I think it's affecting all demographics. Craig, thanks very much for your time today, and we wish you all the best. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Recently, we told you that the state of Hawaii was going to do away with certain sunscreens due to the impact that they are apparently having on coral reefs in that state. But some researchers disagree with the level of impact that this may be having, as well as have concerns about trying to get rid of sunscreens. Our friend Karen Glanz joins us. She's a professor of epidemiology and nursing here at the University of Pennsylvania and also a visiting professor at the University of Hawaii Cancer Center. She also spent more than a decade living and working there, and she joins us here in studio. Hello, Karen. Hi, Dan. How are you? Aloha, I guess I should be saying to you. Uh, So uh, you obviously heard the segment that we did before and raised some concerns uh, off of the research that was presented there. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the research as it was presented and discussed by Craig Downs is presented as if it's an open and shut case. And it's very clear and that this is a, a extremely strong impact on the coral reefs that needs to be dealt with and that this legislation to ban sunscreens with oxybenzone and octanoxate uh, should should help to Im- improve the health of the coral reefs and right. of the oceans. And uh, I have concerns about the science, but I also have concerns about the cost-benefit ratio uh, if this legislation is, you know, comes to fruition as an act. It has been passed, has yet to be signed by the governor, and would go into effect in three years. Um, so um, I guess first is that um, coral reef damage, which is uh, widespread and happening all around the world, yeah. uh, is multi-causal. It yeah. is not caused by one or two chemicals. Uh, it, in fact, um, to quote a, a, a prominent um, marine and coral reef researcher who I've spoken with recently, if you were to take the top 10 causes of coral reef degradation, you would start with global warming. Right. Um, next would be um, kind of human um, massive products like things like wastewater um, and pollution into the water. Right. Um, then you would have other things like um, overfishing, um, uh, tourists stomping around on the reef, yeah. um, things like that. And she said out of about 10, she'd put sunscreen chemicals possibly with the g- current evidence at about number 10. So, um, you know, wouldn't expect 
that even if we were able to completely get those out of the water, which I'm not sure, that, again, that this legislation would do, that it would have a huge impact on um, repairing or re- reducing damage to the coral reefs. Um, now, the other part to this that, that you have brought up is the fact that there is a concern about going away from sunscreens in general because of the benefits that they can provide for people in terms of protection of their skin, not having skin cancer, or at least mitigating uh, the the rays that come from the sun that could lead to skin cancer. Right, right. And that's, that's a potential downside. Uh, if people, through either confusion or through things like the increased cost of some of the alternative sunscreens that are becoming available, that people that are are said to be reef-friendly or – and some people don't like the way they feel on the skin. You know, maybe new new formulations may improve on that. But if people choose not to use sunscreen, then they – it's inevitable that the risk of skin cancer will go up and the protection afforded by sunscreen, which is not the only way to reduce – the risk of skin cancer, but right. is a is a, a prominent way, and especially a prominent way for people who might be going in the water um, because wearing hats and long sleeves it, may, is, may is, be less. Likely. Is there something concerning specifically about these two chemicals that they have obviously brought forward, the oxybenzone and the octinicinate, uh, that that has a concern in general for you with having them in these sunscreens in in, in the first place? Well, these are. Um, a, the probably the most common active ingredients that right. are used in most major selling sunscreens. Okay. Um, and uh, there have been concerns raised about them, concerns about the possibility that they may be hormone disruptors. There are many, many things in our environment and our food, right. et cetera, that are hormone disruptors. Um, and then, uh, you know, there are those who remain skeptics about their effectiveness, but their effectiveness has been well demonstrated for initially for, first of all, um, preventing sunburn, which is causally related to right. skin cancer. But there um, was a large study done in Australia in um, it's called the Nambour study, uh, where men of middle-aged men in in I think it was 18 communities, uh, were assigned to either put on sunscreen daily and they were were um, provided with, with sunscreen um, and, you know, could put it on any time. But to put on sunscreen daily over right. a, a prolonged period of time and then there were control communities right. uh, and had to be done by communities because there's a lot of – uh, nudging and convincing people to get sure. them to consistently use sunscreen. It's yeah. not like feeding them a pill or injecting them with something. Right. Because <laughs> sometimes when you get into the winter months or the cooler months, it's not the thing that people think of first is, is slapping right. sunscreen on your arms or, or your yeah. legs or whatever. And and the study was done in the state of Queensland in Australia, a very sunny state. Yeah. They caught the sunshine state actually there. Um, they did it there because... It would be possible if sunscreen made the di- made a difference. It would be possible to see that difference in a period of about ten to fifteen years, right. uh, because the incidence of skin cancer is higher in Australia due to the environment, not due to genetic differences. Right. So, uh, what they found out of the, that study was that 
Um, the sunscreen was effective for reducing squamous cell cancers, one of the major non-melanoma skin cancers. Uh, it was effective for reducing photoaging, aging of the skin. Right. And ultimately, after the long follow-up period, it reduced the number of melanomas. Um, there were fewer in the group that used sunscreen than in the group that did not. And so this is, you know, been published in top scientific journals um, and is generally widely accepted now. Um, again, it doesn't mean sunscreen is the only way to prevent skin cancer sure. or should be relied on solely. But the evidence, uh, and this came out, you know, within the last five to seven years, um, is far stronger than it was a decade ago, 10 yeah. to 15 years ago. I, like many people, was a bit of a doubter on sunscreen. I couldn't do a study like this, but this uh, team in Australia did this really well-done study. So then uh, in terms of, of this idea then, why the push, do you think, in your mind to to really mark these sunscreens as the main reason why coral reefs in, in some parts of the world are being impacted negatively? I, I think that it, it's the flip side of the coin that has caught on, particularly with um, environmental advocates, some of the public as been convincing to some legislators, is that it's kind of the idea that you can do something um, and, like, this might be a thing we can do that will make a difference. Right. Uh, there is nobody bringing to the legislature a bill to reduce global warming uh, yeah. or um, to, you know, massively uh, change the way that wastewater is disposed of. But, again, not it's not only with its impact on the coral reef uh, in sunscreen – um, these chemicals are actually in a lot of personal care products, and right. nobody is proposing that we um, ban these products in lotion or cosmetics. Right. What happens with those products is not necessarily that people are going to be going into the ocean with those products on every day, nor are they going in with sunscreen every day, right. but that those will a lot of them will be washed off or excreted somehow and find their way into the water as well. Right. So from that point of view, and I have not seen that analyzed, it's almost a question of like how much could you actually reduce those chemicals sure. through the actions of this ban. This ban does not uh, make it illegal for tourists to bring in whatever kind of sunscreen they right. want or for people to order it on the Internet. Um, and further, there is no money in the bill for enforcement or monitoring of uh, what's sold in the stores. Right, which makes you wonder how they're going to actually implement this in the first place. One, if you don't have people that would be out there being the sunscreen police to, to do this or, you know, have the money to, to prevent these sunscreens from coming into the into the. Uh, into the state of Hawaii or having people at the uh, at the airports checking bags for these types of sunscreens, correct? Right. And that's all kind of ludicrous when you think about it. But I, but I, I can say this with pretty good authority because uh, last week before I left Honolulu to return to Philadelphia, I spoke to the regulatory director at the state health department, not the director of regulatory affairs, but of this type of regulation. Yeah. And he just pretty much reiterated I don't have people to do this. They didn't, they're not planning to give me money. It's not in the legislation. And also because this is going to take effect in 2021, he made a good point that, well, the legislature makes budgets year by year. 
and they're sure. not making a budget for 2021. But there were some people that wanted to see this go into effect even sooner. And there still was there was a little some money in it for education, but none in it for enforcement and monitoring. Um, and uh, well, what I would don't the, believe what? there was a penalty that was specifically attached to uh, these well, products being sold. And, and again, what would the education be? I mean, how do you bring that forward? I mean, I think education, obviously, on certain issues is a very important topic. But how do you bring education forward on an issue that, I guess, one, doesn't have the funding from the state to be able to do enforcement? And, and then where would the force, where would the the education piece go to? To the local people, to, you know, uh, to the people that are coming to visit the state of Hawaii? I don't know how that would play out. Uh, all good points. Uh, and, you know, there it could be done any number of ways. I mean, right now, Hanama Bay, which is the most popular snorkeling spot on the island of Oahu that sees um, millions of visitors every year, actually ha- requires a little lecture and, and film as people are going in about, um, you know, being good to the reef. It's not all about sunscreen. Yeah, it's, right. Uh, it's more general. Don't feed the fish, et cetera. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, they could do something there. But, but there is no plan. Um, and which I think is your is your point. And uh, if there was a plan, it would it would really have to be rooted in solid scientific evidence um, to be sure that it's not just. I mean, we we think people should cover up and protect themselves from the sun with hats, with shirts, with you know, yeah. long clothing, with sun with sunglasses. Um, you know, sunscreen is not the only thing people should depend on. Right. But what would that education look like? Uh, well, big question mark. Then I guess my next question is: How does the do the companies that are making these sunscreens react to this? And knowing that, I, I think in general, uh, these companies are aware of trying to make sure that their products. I would guess for the most part that their products are. Uh, healthy for the people that are using them as much as they can healthy for elements of the environment, Uh, you know, bringing in different products, you know, more natural products. I know that some companies are trying to go that route. How how do the sunscreen companies react to this? So there, there were, was some testimony before the legislature um, pro and con from different companies. And um, you know, it is a, it's a pretty big, business in terms of um, sure. dollar sales per year. Um, there there are a couple of different things kind of behind that. First of all, the Food and Drug Administration um, has, as part of its mandate, um, regulating over-the-counter products right. that are meant for, for health reasons. So, And it was in 2011, 2012, some of it didn't go into effect till 2013, that they, for the first time in 20 years, updated regulations related to sunscreen. There are two types of regulations. <clears throat> One has to do with demonstrating testing for effectiveness mm-hmm. um, in laboratory standards. The other has to do with labeling. And the labeling rules uh, were particularly important and particularly of interest to me and in the kind of work I do because there were some claims being made on sunscreen package labels that were implausible. Yeah, yeah. Um, And if they're not regulated, then they just go on. And 
uh, they were things like uh, waterproof for eight hours. Yeah, right. Yeah. And now they're allowed to say um, water resistant for up to 80 minutes. That's kind of a big difference. Yes. <laughs> um, Especially they, if you're planning to be on the beach all day. There were th- Yes. There were things about what SPF, um, a company, could uh, claim and because the higher SPF is not like multiples. Right. And so they can't. They can no longer say SPF 100. Yeah. Um, they can say 30 plus. And those are just some examples. So, one of the things that's really interesting to me that I and my research team plan to look into is actually how this fits into this um, emerging sunscreen product uh, industry that's coming up with trying to make what they're calling reef safe sunscreens because right. reef safe is on the package labels of some of these new products. And um, to my knowledge, it has not been approved by the FDA as an allowable label. So that's a big question mark. Sure. It's probably not an allowable label because it hasn't – there's no science behind it. There's right. no proof that it is reef safe, even though it just means it's oxybenzone and octanoxate free. They're usually mineral sunscreens that have a have um, their active ingredients are – zinc and zinc oxide that are actually barriers to the sun between the sun and your skin. Um, and there are a lot of small companies that are coming up. I think some of them are truly environmentally concerned um, vendors, um, you know, chemists, whatever, small companies. Um, and some of them are probably people who are opportunistic and see sure, yeah. uh, an opportunity just like Say, let's use organic food labeling yeah. as a yeah. as an analogy to see here's here's a sales opportunity. Um, so, as far as the quality control, um, both of their effectiveness of their products and the adherence to the labeling rules, yeah. um, there are a lot of questions to be looked but at. But the the expectation when we talked with Craig before, the expectation is, and obviously the governor right now is very busy having to deal with a state that has volcanoes. You know, having uh, spewing ash all over the place right now. Uh, but the expectation is, is that I think if there is an end to that, then one of the first things that will be addressed is this bill that is sitting on his desk. Correct. Well, the legislative session in Hawaii occurs during the winter and spring. And then there's a period of time that the governor has to sign bills. He has until June 25th to sign this bill. Okay. So there are hundreds of bills that come out of the legislature. This is one that rose to the fore and, and, sure. and got a lot of public attention. But um, there are a number of others, too. So so there are people trying to make their case to the governor. Currently, the signs suggest that he'll probably sign it. Karen Glanz joining us here in studio is a professor of epidemiology and nursing here at the University of Pennsylvania. She's also a visiting professor at the University of Hawaii Cancer Center. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I mean, there is a concern that, uh, and we've talked about this topic over the last few years with you, is that sunscreen has a benefit to its use whether you're in hawaii or if you're down at the jersey shore or florida or if you're walking up and down the street in in nebraska you know there are benefits to it is there a concern in your mind of a of a backlash against sunscreen in general that obviously could potentially impact people in terms of the the possibility of contracting 
some some form of skin cancer. Yes, absolutely. That is a concern, and you kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, to use a an analogy, I mean, this is like hitting a nail with a you know a two ton truck because there are plenty of people that don't even go in the water that are out exposed to a, you know to use Hawaii as the example, right. although Nebraska is good too. You know, to the hot sun. And they may be out walking, running. You know, they may be kids out playing. Um, and they need to be protected. And why would we be trying to take away from them the option of an affordable and maybe effective and potentially acceptable sunscreen? And acceptability of sunscreens, as well as the perception and belief that they're useful is really important right. um, and affordability because the most of the new products tend to be more expensive sure, by yeah. multiples. Yes, I've seen that recently going into a store to get sunscreen and you're paying $35 or $40 for, you know, for a bottle of sunscreen these days. Yeah. Which you know is, is certainly something that you don't have to deal with. So is the expectation that, that I mean, obviously there there is the research that Craig did there are, there are the numbers that that you are bringing forward. Is there an expectation that uh, that you know these are elements that obviously they're important points to bring up as talking points, but we need to go back to the science, all of the science, to really dig deeper as to what the impact really is. Uh, we do need to go back to the science, but we also need to, and I think we have an opportunity to um, to develop the science. Um, the fact that this is going is set to go into effect in three years if the governor signs it actually opens up the potential for a really big natural experiment um, and gives us a chance to get a baseline, which is a much better way. Human experimentation and human observation is different than the laboratory experiment, as, as is the reality out in the ocean is different than the reality in a lab yeah. with ocean water. Um, so there's a an op- real opportunity to look at how does human behavior change, how does product availability change, yeah. and what is the effect on the water and the marine environment and the coral reefs. So we have a real chance to look at that. But as you said, there there are so many different elements that could be impacting coral reefs, and, and there are so many other pieces that need to be addressed as well. That you know, if you're truly, if your concern truly is figuring out some way to be able to mitigate what's happened to coral reefs, uh, you need to have a, a, just an unbelievably multifaceted approach to be able to bring that forward. Absolutely. That's yeah. what, and that's what we hope to do. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I mean, one thing that I haven't seen, and if you recall, having had this conversation with Craig, I'd be interested in hearing about if uh, a, this ban goes into effect and if it is reasonably effective, meaning, let's say, 60 to 70 percent of people wearing sunscreen wear sunscreen without the so-called offending chemicals in it. How much impact and how soon is that likely to have in the marine environment and the coral reefs? Because, you know, if if in 50 years it might make a teeny tiny effect, uh, then we really ought to be looking at some more – you know, large scale, uh, more impactful approaches. Karen, great seeing you again. Thank great. you very much for coming Thank in. You, Dan. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.